I'm not used to that no-take-five thing yet. <laughs> but what a powerful story, man. God is good. And listening to Stephanie tell us about how God worked in her life reminded me of something that Nathan was saying uh, when he, before he uh, prayed for us during our time of confession. He said something like, you may be far from God, but he's not far from you. Something like that. It doesn't matter how far away you are. God is patient and loving you and waiting, uh, waiting for th- that moment where he, he turns our hearts and makes us alive in him. If you're far from home this morning, there's hope. You're never too far away from the saving arms of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and church, don't we this morning, don't we just need Jesus? We need Jesus in our lives and in our world. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Oh man, this one's going to lay thick. I'm going to do my best to use my witty charm to disarm some of the hard truths that Paul lays down in Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going to pray and ask for His grace this morning that we may hear His Word and be changed by His Word uh, as difficult as it may be to get through. Let's pray and then we'll get into Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 6. We are going to make it to verse 21, maybe. We are maybe. Father, I love you this morning. I am thankful for your word. I am thankful that I am not in charge. I am so thankful that political leaders are not in charge. Father, you are the king of all things. From your hands, from your breath, from your word and your spirit, all that is It's come into being. Father, and you have a plan and you have a will for this world and for us, your people, in this world. Living as pilgrims and strangers passing through. Father, I pray this morning that as Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus, that you would speak to your church here in Ackworth and your church in Cartersville, that this local expression of your body, Four Points Church, Father, that you would bury your grace deep into our souls. Father, I pray for me this morning that you would give grace to me. Father, that you would put words uh, in me that come out that is your spirit at work through your word. Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things. And everybody said, amen. Let me remind you quickly as we get into this Middle section of Ephesians chapter 5, what we studied last week. Powerful movements, six movements there. God wants us to move from the old ways we did things because we're new in Christ Jesus now. And, and because we're new in Christ, we can, we can grow and mature and attain this great unity that he has given us and gifted us to maintain and grow up into. Remember, this book is about us maturing in the gospel and maturing in this new life that he has given us because we were dead in sin, but he made us alive in Christ. And these six movements, if you'll look at the screen quickly, 
Six movements begin with, we've got to move from lying to telling the truth. We've got to move from anger to self-control. We've got to move from stealing to labor that benefits all. We've got to move from harmful speech to edifying and encouraging speech. We've got to move from bitterness to kindness and sexual immorality to marriage. And here's where we pick up now in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I'm telling you, that could be a sermon just right there. We're really, we're really trying to fit a lot in today. Every generation has their philosophers, has their thinkers, has their scientists, has their political leaders. Every generation has these voices that are speaking, saying, this is the way, and here's where we need to go, and this is how we should think, and, and this is how we should be. Every generation has, and isn't it funny, every time there's a, 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 a Manuel Kant, there's a, a David Hume that comes after saying the complete opposite, right? One is saying, scientific enterprise, we can do it, we can know everything, and someone else comes along right after and says, we can't know anything. We're in the age of skepticism. Right, these voices are always competing. What are they competing for? They're competing for your affections so that their names can be remembered in future generations' history books. These, these, we were always trying to make our mark on this world. And so, and we see in our day, in our blogosphere, everyone, look at me, look at me, look at me. Everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to be remembered for what they say, for what, for what they're doing. Everybody wants to give the next TED Talk. There's a lot of voices out there. But there's one voice, and listen, in all those voices, sometimes there are hints of truth. Amen? And all truth, though, ultimately is God. Even as human beings, even as unbelievers, we can pick up a little of God's truth from, from now uh, and again because right, his invisible attributes are clearly seen in nature. Right? We, we see his truth, whether we realize it's him or not. So sometimes we get a little piece of it right. But the reality is, as new people come on the scene, the voices change, the dynamics change, the narratives change. A lot of voices pulling for your attention, for your affection. But there's only one place where you can go that is all truth all the time. It never changes. Generations come, generations go. We're like the grass of the field, Solomon said. Right, we, we, we grow and we blossom and we're there in beauty for a moment, but then we fade. It is only he that is eternal. It is only his truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Isn't it amazing how things written 3,500 years ago as God is revealing himself to his people are still true today in our context. It's because he's God and we are not. I mean, think about it. For thousands of years, people have been trying to burn this book. For thousands of years, people have been trying to, to move us away from God. Uh, and you've got Marxism and socialism, and, and God is the opiate of the masses. Where people have been trying to move uh, Christians, God's people, away from his word for 
for centuries and centuries. But God is unlike, who was it that said Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, God is dead. He said that 100 years ago. Guess what? Nietzsche's dead. God's not. (laughs) We're still here. By God's grace, he's working in us. He's pulling us. He's drawing us. We have his truth. May we not believe the other narratives. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Aren't you tired of reading the articles and never eat eggs? Eggs are terrible. Eggs will kill you. So you stop eating eggs six months later. Eggs are a superfood. It's what Paul says. You've got to be strong in the gospel. If you're not, you're going to be tossed. To and fro, chasing every little wind of doctrine that's out there. We need God's word. Now, context. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things. What what are the these things? How how are we not supposed to be deceived with empty words? What's the context of the empty words? These things. Put that slide back up in the six things, the six movements. Let no one deceive you with empty words regarding these six movements from the old to the new in Christ. When someone comes along and writes a book that tells you it's okay if you do bad things as long as people don't know it. I don't know if you've ever read The Prince, but every politician out there has. It's part of our degree programs. It's okay to lie, it's okay to steal. As long as up front you don't look like you're lying. As long as nobody finds out. As long as you're doing it for the greater good somewhere down the road. It's okay to lie. It's okay to steal. It's okay to deceive. To betray. Let no one deceive you with empty words. These movements are what it looks like to be growing in Christ. And and maturing in unity that we have as his body on this world. Let no one deceive you. If anyone comes up and says, hey, you know what? Oh, working hard is not the, I got, I got the, isn't it? There's a hundred books out there with get rich quick. Tell me, I've read a lot of them. <laughs> They're liars. <laughs> hard work that benefits not just you, but it benefits everybody around you. If anyone tells you that, that bitterness is a better way and sometimes you need to hold a grudge. Right? Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. We've got to move from bitterness to kindness, from holding grudges to forgiveness. That verse talks a lot about forgiveness. Let no one deceive you with anything other than these behaviors that you are to exemplify as Christian men and women. We need these movements. And there's probably one up there as you look. There's, you're probably going... I mean, you know, you look at, oh, I'm doing that great. Ooh, I'm doing that great. But then you get to that one, you're like, ooh. Right? That's the, there's got to be movement. Look, you're not going to be perfect, but there's got to be movement. Amen? Yeah. Somebody's going to amen. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Listen, I don't know 
what you think about anything going on in the world. But if it looks like somebody's getting away with something, they may in the moment, but they will not forever. And, and here's the really scary part. That's why the Bible is so full. When somebody puts that knife in your back and just stabs away and, man, you want to turn around and... But there's a reason the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And no one who practices unrighteousness, no one who practices injustice will escape the justice that comes from God. And that justice actually starts here. His wrath starts here. It's not just eternity when we stand before him and are judged by him. Those without Christ, it's going to be a bad day. But his judgment starts here in Romans chapter 1. We know that those who are unrighteous, who live for themselves, who want to be their own gods, part of God's wrath in verse 24 is him giving themselves over to their lusts. Right? To, to be, uh, when we use the word reprobate, to have your conscience completely Seared as no longer do you even think about an eternal God or an eternal justice or right or wrong. You just revel in your own impurities and foolishness. I can't wait. The one thing I can't wait for when we start Romans next year is Romans chapter 1. I love it. Because the wrath of God is revealed upon the sons of disobedience in this world. Man, have you ever talked to that person just, they're not there. They're just drunk in their own sin. It's the wrath of God. You're, you're seeing it in reality, in real time when you're talking to that person. And the wrath of God will culminate one day in an eternal separation. Right? Because even unbelievers who are drunk in their own sin today they still experience the common grace of God over this world. They still experience the, the warmth of the sun, the, the beauty of walking after a summer rain and that, but the clouds, the per, you know that, just that perfect kind of orangey, beautiful after summer rain walk. Right? There are still common graces that God gives here. But in a, when we stand before men are judged, if you are outside of Christ, if you are still in your sin on that day, there will be a separation from the grace of God that will last for eternity as you go to a place called Gehenna or hell. And the righteous, those in Jesus, will be forever joined in union with him. The wrath of God is real and it's already being revealed and it will be revealed on the sons of disobedience. The sons of their, right, there's, we have God our father. There's another one who claimed he's not a father. He's not like God at all. He's a created being, but he is a father. Ephesians chapter 2 told us we were all once dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is the father of those who have believed his lies and, and profess his lies in this world. And the wrath of God is already seen working in them and will be culminated at the end of this age when they are eternally separated from God. Verse 7, therefore, therefore, do not become partners with them. 
this is a rabbit trail, but let me just... Right, there's a lot of scripture that talks about evangelism and reaching the lost and going out into all the world. And we should be, we're fixing to talk about Jesus, the light of the world, and he's called us to be lights for him. That is part of our calling. But what we don't need to do is hear some voices and become deceived into thinking in order to minister to people. We have to partner with them in their acts of disobedience. Because that is not what God has called us to do. Do not become partners with them. Do not lock arms with them in their treachery, in their injustice, in their, in their tyranny. Do not be partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness. Remember chapter 2. At one time you were like them. You were void of the plan of God, the great salvation of God, and the movements from the old man to the new man that you're supposed to be maturing and walking in. You too were once blind and drunk in your own sin. You were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have, each and every one of us, a responsibility in this broken, sin-stained, sin-soaked world. I love in John when Jesus declares himself. He walks into the temple and he walks over to the treasury uh, where people were gathered and he says, I am, that ego in me, he's going back to Exodus when God told Moses, I am that I am. He says, I am the light of the world. What most people don't realize about the context there is it was the week of the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the ceremonies that week that would commemorate God's leading his people out of Egypt as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by the showing God's leadership of his people. There was a ceremony to commemorate that moment during this Feast of Tabernacles. And four huge candelabras were erected right there in front of the temple treasury. And those candelabras were as high as the highest walls of the temple themselves. And so all the young and healthy Levites would carry up ladders, oil to these candelabras. 75 liters of oil for each candelabra. And then young and fit Levites would, would carry a torch up and they would light the wicks that were in the, the oil and those candelabras would burn and glow and it was so bright. We have records written in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is kind of like a commentary on the Old Testament from people who were living in the days of Jesus. It's a really cool book, a really cool volume. That's how we know the... the, the uh, I'm getting into too much stuff. But it's how we know things like how many steps you couldn't take on. Right? It was all that. It tells you all that stuff they believed about the Ten Commandments. There are eyewitness records in the Mishnah from these days saying not only would those four candelabras burn and light up the whole temple, but they lit up the entire city of Jerusalem. It's how bright they burn. You could see them from miles outside the city. That ceremony occurred and Jesus the very next morning steps into that same place in front of the treasury and declares, I am the light of the world. Jesus is 
God leading his people. Jesus is the savior that was promised. He is the, the one who lived a perfect human life, died in our place for our sins, rose conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. That is, he is the light of the world. But look at this. Don't partner with those in disobedience, but walk as children of light. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. Something I just don't understand about, there's lots of things I don't understand about the plan of God. If I'm God, and I've got this plan, and it's a good plan, I would never entrust my good plan to my creation. I don't know. I mean, what was he thinking? And, and there are theological answers to that question. Obviously, he could snap his fingers and make everything right and make everything perfect anytime he wanted to. And he would be glorified for that. But he will receive much more glory for having used us Jars of clay to work out and perfect his plan in this world and bring salvation to many. But at the same time, sometimes I just scratch my head going, God, why do you make us stewards of your gospel? Why do you make us stewards of your light? You are the light, we're not the light, but yet you've, given, you've made us light because we're now your children. Right? You've done this work in us and we have, then you give us this responsibility. And what do we want to do? We want to take that light. We want to hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Come on. You guys grew up in church, right? Some of you? No. We are. We are to be the representatives of Jesus, his ambassadors in this world. And we don't go up and stand and say, I am the light. We stand up and say, we shine his light by saying, he is the light. Hey, all you workers of iniquity and workers of darkness, I, I love you. I can't partner with you in what you're doing, but I love you, and I want you to know how good Jesus is. All that stuff you're searching for can only be found in him. This is how we shine for Christ in this world, by not only proclaiming his gospel, but from moving from the old self to the new self. In Christ Jesus. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found. In all that is good. And right. And true. Brent, how, how can we reflect Christ in this world? By living according to his word. The world may see. The light. What is good what is right, what is true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Everybody, just circle verse 10. I remember as a young man, young Christian man, when Jesus saved me, this is one of those verses I memorized. And in my, I guess it was King James Version back then, it says, I memorized it, find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And I kind of made that a life verse. And it's a great life verse for you too because we all have decisions to make when we leave this place. And before we make any decision, we should ask ourselves the question, what pleases the Lord? 
It would really help us to do what he's going to tell us in a second. Live as wise, not as unwise. If we would ask the question before we do something, does this please the Lord? I can't tell you how many, how many heartbroken young girls that Sarah and I have had to counsel through heartbreaking situations because they didn't ask themselves this question when that stupid little boy came popping into their world. All right, because the first, what's the first question you should ask when you meet somebody? Do they love Jesus? And if the answer is no, stop looking in their eyes. All right, we ask the question, but what, do, what does, I don't know why, girls, you're not Jesus. But every girl and that dumb boy comes in. I can change him. Six months later, I got to clean up the mess. Ask the question. If they don't love Jesus, the answer is always no. Off limits. Go back to Song of Songs. But what a great question. I mean, think about, think about the mistakes you've made in your life. Think about the unwise, foolish decisions that you've made. What a great verse here. As we're looking at our life and looking, and many of us have family, we're responsible for other people. What pleases the Lord? Find out what pleases Him and then do that. Take no part. Again, we've already had, do not become partners with them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of unfruitful works. Of darkness. You know, isn't it funny how sometimes we think we can be doing something, but the reality is what we're doing bears no fruit at all. How many of you have wasted some time, maybe some years, in the unfruitful works of darkness? You got nothing to show for it when you're done. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. We are to live our lives in this new life, growing in this new life in such a way that our words and our deeds expose darkness around us so that people can see, again, the truth, what is right what is good, what is true. The light always exposes the darkness. Try this experiment when you get home. Move into a closet and turn off all the lights where you're in complete darkness and take out the smallest little beam of light, maybe a keychain, a little button that pushes. Just take the smallest amount of light you can Push that button. What you're going to see immediately is light always wins over darkness. Darkness can never cover up the light. Rather, light exposes darkness. It always does. If we turn off all the light, if it was pitch black in this room, and I took a pinpoint light in one corner and I turned it on, everyone would be able to see it. 
It's why we're still talking about Jesus today, 2,000 years later. It's why no one has forgotten about him. It's why no one has forgotten his name. Because he was the light of the world. And he's brought us, adopted us into his family. We had nothing. And he gave us everything. And we're to shine that light now in the darkness around us. And it is dark. We don't know where Paul quotes from in verse 14. But as he's talking about the light exposes darkness. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Most scholars believe that this was an oral, uh, an oral, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Aaron? Uh, yeah, tradition, but that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, it was something that they said orally in the church together. There's a word for that. Creed, yes, thank you. An oral creed that was spoken in the church at baptism. When someone would become a believer, they'd go down in the water and they'd come up uh, new and dead to sin, alive in Christ, and the whole church would say, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Wouldn't that be a cool tradition to bring back during baptism? That would be awesome. But we don't know for sure if that's where it's from. Regardless, what is said is true. Right? Come like the prodigal son. We've got to come to our senses. We've got to realize, man, we're in, we're in a pit with pigs. Right? That's what sin is. It's what sin does to a person. My dad used to say, sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So awake, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you, dead to sin, alive in him. Look carefully then how you walk. Again, walk is a metaphor for all your life. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There is a way to walk wisely, and there is a way to walk unwisely, and we see it on the news all the time. And I want to be careful here. Because if I'm going to offend anybody, I have to offend everybody. Right? No, I'm not going to say that. You want to know what it's like to walk wisely? To walk in the light that is Jesus Christ. It is to move from lying to telling the truth. From... from uh, Put that slide up again. <laughs> From anger to self control It's a lot of things. From stealing to labor that benefits all. From harmful speech to edifying and encouraging. That's where I'm trying to grow. Because I can slap, I'm a prophet, man. I can slap down truth like it's nobody's business. But sometimes I can slap down truth in a way that hurts instead of helps. I want to be a man 
that encourages and edifies people in the truth of the gospel and not get involved in nonsense that would, would tear apart. I want to move from bitterness to kindness, sexual immorality to marriage. This is how we are walking wisely. And when you look on, I mean, when you, just, when you watch the news, right, and you see all the craziness, why is all the craziness out there? Because people are not being transformed by God's word. Instead, they're walking in, with a lack of wisdom. Right? And it causes us all pain and hardship when that occurs. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what the will is? This is the question I get a lot, especially young people. How do I know what the will of the Lord is? Scripture teaches us the will of the Lord in Ephesians 2 is for you to be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. For you to speak more like Him and to walk more like Him as we move from the old to the new. That's God's will for you. Now, here we get this awesome verse. Let me just read it all, and then we'll go back and talk about it. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so, how many of you grew up Baptist? You probably shouldn't have raised your hand, I'm sorry. See, praise God for the fun verses. Right, one thing we can rule out immediately. Well, the wine in Jesus' day was an alcoholic. Do not get drunk with wine. It's the same word. Same word that Jesus used to turn water into sin. Something is being communicated here, though, and we need to pay attention. Right, because let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying you can't go to a Braves game whenever COVID is over and we can go back to sporting events and, and have a couple beers with your buddies. This is not saying you can't have some friends over for a game night and, and you know, tear through a bottle of wine. It's not what this is saying. What is this saying? There's something God doesn't want for us to do, and there's something that God does want us to do. Be not drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. We're talking about a progressive, consistent drunkenness that leads us to an abandoned or dissolute life. That's what, that's what debauchery is. How many of you know that, that alcohol is a depressant? Right? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit, I got good news. He is a stimulant. Right? Alcohol can we, we can, we can give ourselves over to alcohol in a way where we just become more drunk and more drunk and more drunk and we end up living a life that doesn't make any difference at all because we stay under the influence of this depressant continually. You want to know what the drunkard looks like? Go with me to Proverbs quickly. I believe it's chapter uh, 23. This is the picture. If you want to know whether you have a problem, you need to go to this verse. Is there any part of your life that looks like this? Because chances are you're moving into debauchery, a life that has no meaning or purpose because of substance abuse. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? 
Well, that would be all of us anyway, but who has complaining? There's a certain cause for this kind of woe and sorrow. Who has wounds without cause? And that's not just because you're old. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, what did I do? You're just old. You're 45. You slept wrong. But I don't wake up with a black eye going, how did that happen? (laughs) Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. Famous last words. Hold my beer and watch this. (laughs) You can't hurt me. (laughs) They struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. It is this kind of person that you are not to become just a, a drunkard who lives a life that has no purpose, no meaning, a life that ends in debauchery. Instead of progressively being drunk with wine, rather what you need to do is progressively be filled, continually be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, the the only experience a lot of people have with the Holy Spirit is their salvation. But the Bible never says we should be filled with the Spirit once. I mean, don't you want to be in that situation uh, like we see the apostles so many times where people are coming against you and there's persecution and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on you and out of your mouth are the right things at the right time that the Holy Spirit's bringing to your remembrance because you've been studying His Word and the Holy Spirit's putting His Word inside. Don't you want that? We want to be filled with this, continuously filled with the Spirit of God because what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Acts 1.8, that you shall be empowered to be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ in this world. So many people get so weird with different giftings and different things in the Bible, and they make the Holy Spirit all about this gift or that gift or this thing or that thing. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of everything in this book is for us to be Good at making much of Jesus. If anybody's ever talking about the Holy Spirit and they're not talking about Jesus, it ain't the Holy Spirit that they're filled with. It's a dumb spirit. I've seen this. God, I've seen some stupid things. I guess. I got four minutes. Let's finish. Verse nineteen. Be be continuously filled with the Spirit. Because as we're filled with the Spirit, what happens? We can not only be the light and continue to live this new life in Christ, but we can address one another. The Bible is so communal. You've heard me say this before. I put slides up about this. There are so many one another verses in the Bible. It's impossible to be a New Testament Christian by yourself. We need each other. 
And when we're filled with the Spirit, I mean, I, it should be part of your daily prayer. God, fill me with your Spirit so I can make much of Jesus today. I can't do this. I need you. That's my prayer. Every Sunday before I come up here, I'm back in the back going, God, if you don't show up. Because when we're filled with the Spirit, we can address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms are when we're, we're just, man, we're, we're singing God's word as it's written. Hymns are when we're singing doctrinal truths that teach one another. Spiritual songs are when we're just, man, we're singing about how good God is and we're worshiping and praising him. We're to dress one another. Have you ever thought, why do we, when we come to church, why do we sing I don't know why. Guys just, we hate singing. It's just not a very masculine, manly thing to do. Hey, let's get around and sing. Singing's only cool if you're in a band, right? But the reality is, why, why do we still do this? Because singing is a part of human life, and it shows that there is a joy within us that doesn't come from what we see in this world. It comes from another source, the source of all light, the source of all truth, from Christ himself. And we are able with joy to sing and to encourage one another. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When he is the light that has changed us and moves us from, from old ways of life to these new ways of life. To, we're, not, we're not living our lives in meaninglessness, nothingness, and debauchery. But instead, we're being filled with His Spirit, singing and encouraging one another. Look at this, submitting to one another out of love. This is how, as Ephesians 4 started out, this is how we continue to grow and mature and attain the unity that Christ has given us. May we, God's people, this world, I don't know if it's ever going to stop burning. I mean, it's scary. It's scary. What is the hope for this world? The hope for this world is not force of power. Power never solves anything. Look at any story in all of history. What, what can help our world right now is if I hold hand with my black brother and I hold hand with my yellow brother and they've got a hand holding another white brother and they've got a hand holding a red brother and we are all singing joyfully the praises of our God who saves sinners like us. That is the hope for our world. His name is Jesus. May his light shine brightly through us. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are thankful. Father, I came in here so burdened. Father, and you saved me and you protected me. And Father, there is a joy and a peace and a safety in your word. Father, may we just stick to your word. Father, continue to grow us in your grace, in your goodness, in your love. Continue to grow us into the new man that you have made us and that you have called us to be. 
Father, thank you that you are the light that we can rely on every time we reflect your word. You will shine. Thank you for your encouragement this morning. And may we all leave this place with a desire to be filled with your spirit, to be the answer that this world needs. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. Uh, just so you know, we're not going to do this ticketing thing much long. In fact, I hope second week of July, we're just going to blow this thing up and come back and we'll have kids and do the whole thing. That's the plan right now. So uh, again, though, if you're at home watching and you feel better at home, stay at home. We love you anyway. Thanks for tuning in. But for all of us ain't scared of COVID, come on.